Hey guys, I want to welcome back Yukon River Knives as a sponsor for the month of December. Yukon River Knives exists to support missions work in rural Alaska by providing outdoor enthusiasts with premium quality knives. A portion of every purchase goes to helping advance the gospel in rural areas in Alaska. Featuring both handmade and high quality production knives, Yukon River Knives has curated some of the finest and most useful knives on the market. Go check out their products at yukonriverknives.com and enter Shepherd's Crook at purchase for a 15% discount. Hey guys, I have one of these knives personally and I've been using it this year for hunting season and it's done a phenomenal job. These are going to make perfect Christmas gifts. You're not going to be disappointed. Go check it out. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello, and welcome back to the Shepherd's Group Podcast. I hope you guys are all doing well. We have marched into December. Hope you got had a great Thanksgiving and are, I'm sure, looking forward already to Christmas. I'm excited today to have a great conversation with a friend. I've had him on the show before. Few months back, you'll recognize this name. I'm talking to Jeremy McMorris again. Jeremy, how's it going, man? Good, buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Just excited to talk hunting and excited. This is a, a newsflash for everybody. Excited to reinstate the Yukon River Knives promo and everybody this month in the month of December from this point yeah. forward will be hearing about yeah, that's that. That's awesome. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully before Christmas time, we'll get some more people ordering some knives. Yeah. Good. All right, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's help, and let's have some fun. Father, we just thank you for this time. We ask for a blessing upon this conversation. I thank you for the gift, the, just the joy it is to be out in the woods, to be out uh, in the prairies and the fields, and just in your in your creation, and chasing big game, small game, just anything. We're so thankful for that opportunity. Thank you for the highs and the lows that come during hunting season, and I've certainly had those this year, and with each of them comes learning opportunities and even just time of prayer with you, and so we're thankful that you meet us where we're at and even walk through us, walk with us through even things like hunting season. God, we, we love you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, bro, here's the big idea of this episode. I have had some ups and downs this year. I have a few stories to tell, but I want to hear because I've been seeing these Instagram pictures and it looks like you have had an incredible year out there in the field. So I want to hear, let's hear some stories. Uh, yeah. let, let's, let's just hear some, uh, yeah, I mean, the ones you want to tell everybody. Let's hear it. Sure. Yeah. Thanks dude. Um, so yeah, you talk about highs and lows this year, the whole deer season has been a high. <laughs> I mean, um, awesome. I think it, it would, I, I'm almost embarrassed uh, with how many great hunting experiences I've had and how few times I've actually hunted. Okay. Like if you look at, if you looked at in my social media, you would think this guy must be out every morning and every afternoon. And the reality is I've just, I mean, I've just hit it just right. I don't know, man. I've the Lord, the Lord is certainly blessed. Now I, this year, I mean, I think it's been, I don't think I killed a buck last year or the year before. Okay. So I've gone a couple of, I shot, you know, we'll shoot does every now and then just to put some meat in the, in the freezer. I think I shot a doe last year. Yeah. I shot a doe last year uh, with my daughter. She shot a doe. I shot a doe. It was kind of a fun hunt, but yeah, this is my first buck. Um, so uh, 
you prayed and you you thank the Lord for our time out in the woods. And it's funny because I still refer to when like when I go hunting, I'll say I'm gonna go out in the woods. Uh-huh. But where I live in the Texas panhandle, there's no woods. <laughs> no woods um, anywhere. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's it's ranch land and farmland. So it's it's real flat, uh hot desert. Uh where we are is really a lot like south southeastern Colorado. So we're at almost four thousand okay. feet. It's flat with some canyony country here and there. Uh, so here in, in, uh, where I am in the panhandle, um, bow season opens October 1st, mm-hmm. but bow season, it's hard to hunt archery here. Oh, I bet. You, you don't, I mean, there's not, you don't find a tree stand and find a runway where deer are coming through. And I mean, there's no, there's literally on one of the farms I hunt, it's, uh, it's a full section, 600 plus acres. There's not a single tree on it. There's nothing there's, I don't think there's anything waist high on wow. the entire, and then on the farms next to it and the farms next to it. Uh, and there's just no trees and there's almost no cover. Um, and I, but I, every year I end up taking my bow out and, you know, I'll get within 80 yards of a deer. And I just, I'm not a good enough archer to be shooting that distance, especially with no cover. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, this year I, I, I tried something new. My, my uh my dear friend ron step who's actually the founder of yukon river knives he was out here he and i were out here together and we started brainstorming and you know i often in, in texas it's totally legal to bait you can put okay. yeah uh, you know corn out or, mm-hmm. or whatever can you do that in illinois we i don't can't no nope, not at all okay. all right in michigan when we were growing up we could um and then and then they, they i don't think it's legal there anymore but here in, in texas it is but the problem is I'm literally putting a pile of corn next to a 300 acre cornfield on my right, you know, and a 300 acre cotton field and a 300 acre sorghum field. And so there's food everywhere. Gotcha. These deer are fat. I don't know if you saw the deer my daughter shot. It's the oh, biggest yeah. white-tailed deer I've ever seen. Um, And so, but one thing we don't have a lot of is water. Okay. So we have very little rain. And the deer drink uh, from either from the irrigate where the irrigation will puddle just a little bit while they're still irrigating the crops, or they'll find where the cattle are drinking in the in the in the cattle um, uh, water uh, tanks. Mm-hmm. And I said, Ron, well, what if what if we put a water tank where I want the deer to be? Yeah, what, good, what great idea. I, instead of me trying to figure out where they're going to be and trying to intercept them. I want to make a spot that they're going to come to on purpose. And so we took uh, out here, they have these huge fertilizer tanks. I don't know. They're about 500 gallons, probably maybe a thousand. And we cut the bottom three feet off of it. It's probably five foot in diameter. It's just big tank. Mm-hmm. And I brought it out there and set it out there. And I literally with another tank in the back of my pickup, I filled it up with the hose in my yard and, and I seven miles out trucked water and filled up this water tank. And, uh, and I had a, so I had corn out and the water mm-hmm. tank had a trail camera on it. And, you know, day one goes by and you'd see the deer eating the corn, but they weren't messing with the tank at all. Day two, day three, day four. And then finally I got some pictures of them drinking from the tank. There you go. Then it became every morning and every evening deer were coming different deer, not always the exact same deer, but deer were coming to drink from that tank. And what I'd also done is built just this really rustic makeshift ground blind out of old pallets okay i had zero dollars in this whole setup you want to talk about nice. a poor man's setup 
I mean, a farmer. I mean, you're a pastor, brother. This is a pastor setup. This is a pastor setup, man. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, a friend of mine who farms had a bunch of these tanks and, you know, these water uh, storage tanks and pallets. And so um, I got it all built out. And then uh, I had gone out. Bro, I think it was the first morning I went out with my bow. Okay. And I and I knew that the deer were going to be out in the fields feeding and they would be coming back and they often leave the fields and go back into the canyon, which is not on my property, mm -hmm. uh, which would be to the west of where I was. Um, and so I thought I'm going to get in. Uh, really, I, I went and got in my blind an hour and a half before sunrise. Okay, gotcha. Um, because I knew I wanted to get in long before they were even going to be approaching uh, the, the property line where kind of, I was set up there. And so I got in early. I literally, I fell asleep for like 45 minutes and <laughs> I, mean, I had nothing else to do. So I slept. And then just as the sun was coming up about 600 yards to the East, literally silhouetted by the sun. Um, I could see a bachelor herd of mule deer bucks all oh, feeding together and do my heart just starts pounding, but they're way off. And, uh, they started feeding in my direction. And I just thought, I think, I think they're going to come and get a drink. I think they're going to come and get a drink before they head into the Canyon. Well, really mm -hmm. long, really short. Um, they do, they just feed and feed and feed closer and closer and closer. I mean, so I have like 45 minutes. Oh my gosh. Get myself worked up into an absolute <laughs> nervous frenzy. Um, I'm literally sitting with my rear end on the ground. I'm not even like on a little seat or anything. Um, and, and you're probably familiar with a ghillie suit. It makes you look uh -huh. like a big leafy tumbleweed. Yep. Um, I had my ghillie suit uh, jacket on and the ghillie suit hat on and uh, just had my bow ready there in front of me. And so they got closer and closer and closer. Well, I had put that tank 20 yards from my blind. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so it was either stupid because it was too close or it was uh -huh. perfect. It ended up being... Perfect. The wind was just right. The wind was blowing oh, in my face and they came to 20 yards and there were six bucks together. The buck I shot and there was another one that was right about the same size with an extra kicker. Okay. And I just determined whichever one gives me the first easy shot I'm taking. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to shoot any of the, the four smaller ones. I thought one of these two, but it doesn't matter to me which one uh, right. I'm going to do that one. And so uh, the, the one that I ended up shooting came in, ate a little bit of corn, drank from the water tank, which I was I, to me was like perfect, right? Like the plan that I had <laughs> worked. Uh, worked. He came, he drank, he turned perfectly sideways. I drew my bow back, um, shot. Perfect double lung shot. The arrow went through him, came out the other side, landed on top of the weeds beyond him. He he jumped, mule kicked uh, okay. like 40 yards and fell over. I mean, I just watched. He died. Awesome. He died faster than some deer that I've killed with guns. Died. Incredible. And Incredible. Uh, and in fact. Oh, yes. Here he is. Brother. Here Look is. at that. Incredible. Right yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I didn't score him. He doesn't have real deep forks, but I mean, come on. Yeah, incredible. He's the second biggest mule deer I've ever killed. 
and by far the biggest deer I've killed with a bow. So, uh, yeah, man, I was, I was, uh, that was, that was awesome. Well, to watch him walk in from 600 yards away as well, each step, the pitter patter of the heart, I'm sure builds and just waiting for the right time had to be awesome and agony in the same, in the same sense, but incredible, man. So then, so you got that one. I also saw it. You said your daughter got one last year, but didn't your son just get one as well this year? Like a really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So my daughter shot a doe last year, but then she shot, uh, she shot the big fat white tail. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then my son shot his first deer ever. He's nine. My youngest son, I have four kids. Mm -hmm. My youngest son shot his first deer. Um, and a really nice, really nice white tail. Um, the longest eye guards I've ever seen on, on a, on a white tail. Um, and so I shot that deer back in bow season. Once rifle season started, I took my daughter out and she shot that white tail. And then two or three days later, my son shot that white tail and brother, all three of those deer were from the exact same spot. That is we awesome. were sitting right there. Same blind. Same blind right there in that little, and they were all coming to that water. They were so man, you've uh, got that figured out. Well, after nine years of hunting here in the Texas Panhandle, uh, I had I have one good idea, uh, and it and it worked. So I'm actually planning. There's another property that I hunt every year, and uh, next year I'm gonna I'm gonna try this as well, and and I'm gonna tweak it a little bit. I'm gonna um there's a windmill on that property and years ago i shot a doe oh, a white-tailed doe out of that windmill okay i just climbed up in it mm-hmm. and i was literally like just you know hanging like standing up there but hanging on and you know shooting my bow trying not to fall out of there and i'm going to try to i may even get one of those saddles oh yeah man the saddles are where it's at yeah I, so i haven't used one and i've been kind of skeptical of them but i thought you know what uh in fact ron actually said you should get a saddle for there and i had already been thinking about that and i thought maybe i will uh, but i'm gonna put i'm gonna i think i'm gonna put a water tank you know within bow range of that uh of that what, what am i saying the, the windmill yeah and, man that's awesome uh, and see how that works so very yeah. cool well it's totally different hunting here because well one we don't have mule deer and so we just have white tail big yeah. white tail up here pretty big yeah. Yeah, and and it's a lot of fun in this area because they're they're everywhere. I mean, we have deer. You can even if there's not a close. I mean, obviously you have to have a water source, but pretty much anywhere in southern Illinois, there's deer. Yeah. And this year, I kind of had the opposite kind of year as you. And I've not told this yet to our listeners. So, I have a friend of mine. He's got about 2,500 acres, and I was hunting on 2,500 acres, and wow. it was just the best of the best kind of hunting situation you could be invited into. And he knew every stand, every place of that property, yeah. every, every pinch point, every single place that deer, those deer are walking, bedding, feeding, he knows it like the back of his hand. Yeah. He sets me up on this really nice spot between two lakes and a, there's a levee. And so okay. in between these two lakes, there's, there's feeding ag fields, on one side and the other side, there's, there's good bedding area. And so they're yeah. morning and night moving back and forth on this levee. It's the only access point to get to these two, two points. Oh, so wow. yeah. he knows when they're coming, where they're going. And yep. at this particular time, 
he knew that this was high buck traffic and they're just walking in and out. And so I, I go out with him one time and I had to have a target buck here at my property and, and I wasn't able to get him this year. And uh, which I'll get to here in just a minute, but long story short, we sit there. I say it's five 30. He's sitting in a saddle with me and I'm just in a, in a stand. And so he's hanging on the tree and we're having a great time cutting up, you know, buddies hunting together. It's a lot of fun. And I set up, I, I looked at my clock. I said, it's five 30. And so we've been in the stand since three 30 stand up. And at five 31, here comes this really nice three and a half year old high eight. And he's walking in at 15 yards. So it's an easy shot. Here's the deal, Jeremy. I did not paper tune my bow before I went in. And I had thought that my arrows had been coming out wobbly. So I draw back and wait and just wallop him. I mean, I just nail it. And I thought for sure Ben said deer down. And we go back, we get out of there. What we Before we got out of there, we waited. And five more really nice deer come out. And right after that, I shot that one. There was at least, it was a 150 plus, four and a half, five and a half year old deer, biggest deer I've seen ever that walked, walked out right after that. It was in October. They were still kind of bachelor groups running around. And then after him, four more come by. And so this is all within the last hour and a half or the last hour. And we just watched deer after deer. We didn't see a single doe. It was all bucks. It was just incredible. All this time thinking my deer's down in the woods. Right. hundred yards from me. You get one, you get one buck tag. Well, we have two, but I only had one in my pocket. Okay. And so he passed on this deer because he manages his property. He passed on this. He's like, Jared, if you, if you let, because this was a, it was a non-typical. And he said, if you let good deer go, they become great deer. And so that's, yeah. that was his counsel to me, you know, and that's, you know, guys like him that are managing your property. Well, they let right. deer walk like that. And I would have just shot the deer, like, you know, in, in an instant. <laughs> and he said he wouldn't have let me. And that's why he was with me. So we go back, get some food. And we've, the, we got dog tracker that's right there. And the dog tracker and the dog came with us. We go down there and Ben's for sure, man, this deer's down. He said, maybe it was an inch and a half, two inches back, but deer's down. He thought it was double long. Well, bro, we go in there, find some dark, dark blood, find the arrow. It's a liver shot. And we go in there and that dog's running around. We realized we went in too quick. It was a liver shot and we pushed this deer. We found just pools where it had been pushed back. We back out and we come back the next morning and we didn't find him. He crossed the river and we never found him the next day. We tracked him several hundred yards and he ended up going north onto the property. We were hunting in the north part of his property and he ended up going into an ag field and onto the, the next uh, field. And we never found him. It was just, I mean, it was like, you know, put the knife in and turn. But here's what we think happened. And this is the lesson I learned. I went and paper tuned my bow the next day. And I thought, I've got to get this thing right. And sure enough, it was coming out of there completely crooked. It was just. Phew. And uh -huh. what we think happened, instead of hitting that deer, we think it, because it, it barely was a pass through. What we think is it hit that liver just, at, just an inch. It didn't hit any guts. It was just a full red arrow all the way through. And I think I just hit that one inch window. And a lot of the force the, of, the, of the arrow was stifled because it went in crooked and uh, slowed itself down when it went through is what we're thinking uh, and my big lesson was don't go out in the field unless your bow is completely tuned 
Yeah. And I actually changed my arrow setup now. I've got like a, a 500 grain arrow setup now with 125 grain broadhead. And I'm like, I'm set up for like shooting elk basically. Yeah. Um, so that was the, that was the low and that was the disappointing oh, time, man. but yeah, it, it's a good way to miss a deer. If you get to see five more and see a couple really, really nice ones. So that, that was my low point, man. That was the, that was the hands in the air. I'm done bow hunting for the year. moment. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Shoot. So, uh, the, the recovery was, I, I was able to get a, I was able to get a shot off during gun season. We, we do shotguns here. We can't shoot rifle. Right. Yeah. So I had a slug gun and it's a rifle barrel. So, I mean, you can shoot, you got, I got a scope yep. on and everything. I, I shot a little doe. And then the crazy thing that happened was at my property, I was walking downstairs and I looked up and 50, about, about 25 yards away there's a deer in the window. And I told the kids, my wife I was like, I'm going to go shoot that. And I, I walked out outside and I'd had my bow ready because there's these, that my target buck has been walking by. And I thought I need to be ready. Even when I'm not out in the field, I'll yeah, just jump me. outside and shoot it. Yeah. Well, he never came by, but I stepped out and it is dusk and it ended up being around 35 yards. And I couldn't even, I didn't even, it was too dark. I couldn't get my my uh, range finder to, to work because it was so dark. So I estimated about 35 yards away based on the tree where, where, where she was and reached back shot and brother, I didn't think I hit her and didn't even go out and look for her that night. I thought I'm going to just sleep and I'll go look for her in the morning. And sure enough, I blasted her and found her dead about 60 yards away. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's been, I ended up with two deer this year and it's been highs yeah. and low. I still do have a buck tag. So if I get a chance, it's, it's that window is pretty much gone where he's, you know, ghosting on me again, but, yeah. uh, but, but that's well, been my highs and lows for the year. And, uh, so, so let me ask you, are, is your season done? Is your year done or what's next for you? No. So, uh, our, our, our mule deer rifle will end, um, this weekend what day is today today's thursday, today It'll thursday. On, i think it ends sunday okay saturday or sunday and then our whitetail gun will stay open till the end of december okay yeah i think um, like it's i think january 1st i think january 1st is the end of our whitetail gun and then there's actually like a two-week doe rifle season after that okay. that ends like january 15th um we have plenty of meat in the freezer mm -hmm. <laughs> right now um if there's there's a really nice white tail that i got one photo of back in mid-october and i've looked for him and watched for him I hadn't got any more trail camera pictures of him um so uh, i still have a white tail buck tag um, i may have a trip to south uh south texas a friend of mine and i've been talking about maybe going down there and just you know leaving it you know, one afternoon driving all night, getting down there, hunting one full day and then coming mm -hmm. back the following day. Um, so I may have, I may have one more trip, uh, down there. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see this deer, um, that I've got with the one photo of, um, mm -hmm. he's, he's a big wide mainframe 10 point with a kicker, at least on the right side. I couldn't tell if he had one on the left side or not. Nice. Um, but he's a, he, he would be the biggest white tail I've ever killed. Um, but our rut is winding down and uh you know they those big those big bucks they're smart they, yeah. they know nocturnal so 
if I can get a good, if I can get a real good snowy day or something, I may, you know, try to catch them in the morning or in the evening, but. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So rut, rut then, for you guys. Then, uh, fe- like pheasant hunt, pheasant season opens on Saturday. Nice. So, uh, you know, I, I may, I may, I'll probably lay the rifle aside for the most part uh, and, and pick up the shotgun. And uh, I think, you know, I've got a, I've got a really great, uh, but young uh, dog that we're training for birds. So he's a, for those who know hunting dog stuff, he's one of the, he's part of the, what's called the versatile breed of dogs. Uh, He's a, uh, he's a poodle pointer. And if, if what comes to your mind when I say that is like labradoodle or cockerdoodle, then you're thinking the wrong thing. It's a P U D E L pointers. It's a a German uh, heritage uh, bird hunting dog. And he's, he's actually bred to hunt all manner of winged creature so awesome you know geese ducks pheasant quail um doves i mean it, yeah, just anything and everything awesome yeah. that's fun are you familiar with higdon outdoors at all with who outdoors higdon h-i-g-d-o-n higdon outdoors i don't think so so they're western kentucky and it's a big outfit outfitting company they're all waterfowl stuff and i just had white wood who works with Higdon Outdoors on the show, talking all things waterfowl, deer, oh, bird, uh, dogs. Yeah. That it was yeah. fun. It was a fun hunt or fun fun conversation for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so yeah. uh, rut for you guys then is late November. It's for us early to mid November, tenth to fifteenth, something yeah. like that. It's a it's about it's about the same here actually. The whitetail rut is um, this is rough. Whitetail rough's first two weeks of of November. And mule deer ruts the last two weeks of November, first okay. week, of, really last week of November, first week of December is, is mule deer rut. And the mule deer don't rut nearly as hard as the whitetail do. Okay. And mule deer, um, have you hunted mule deer before? I haven't. No. I need to, I need to get you out here to do that. Um, mule deer hunting is, uh, is a very different, like, so for instance, you saw on my Instagram, uh, my friend Jared, who's mm-hmm. also a um, he and I hunted together on Tuesday this week, just a couple of days ago. And uh, so it was the first day he went out hunting this year. He's had oh, a really good year this year. And he, the the release that he and I were hunting on, we hunt, we, we spent at least one day together every year down there hunting that. And um, so the whitetail really just moved during the morning and in the evening, like you would mm-hmm. expect the first, the, la- the first hour in the morning, last hour of the evening. And so we hunted t- together. We just spent the whole day together. Okay. So I, I had a whitetail tag and he had a whitetail and a mule deer tag. And um, I was holding out. I didn't want to shoot a whitetail unless it was going nice. to really be spectacular. Um, he wanted to put a deer in the freezer. So about an hour after sunup, we we're kind of easing our way through some country. We'd stop and glass and look and stop and glass. And there were two young whitetail bucks that were just getting ready to bed down. In fact, one of them did, did bed down. And uh, he was able to harvest one of those. Okay. Those. Um, so we got we got that deer all taken care of and gutted and field dressed and, and put in the truck and we just kept hunting. This we this this ranch is probably I don't recall six or eight thousand uh, of of ranch country cattle country. Okay. So it's perfect. It's the most incredible piece of property. I look forward to this. Is like Christmas Day to me. Every <laughs> right. Up. I get it. And, uh, so then we're just, we're, we're 
we know some different spots to go in glass mm-hmm. and just look and see anything's up and moving around. Well, mule deer will not always, but sometimes they'll bed. They're hurt. They're usually herded together more so than whitetail. They're bigger than whitetail and they'll hurt. They'll, they'll bed in relatively open country. Okay. Um, and so we were kind of looking and making our way through some, some canyony breaks and eased up over one little rise and about 250 yards away, there was, three or four mule deer doe and, and two mule deer bucks. One of which was a really nice buck. And mm-hmm. uh, the one that he, that you saw in the, in the, in the photos there, nice, right. probably five and a half year old uh, four by four with a, with a real cool uh, uh, split on one of his, uh, on one of his, uh, where his, I guess it would be his G2 where it splits. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a third up there. And uh, anyway, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but, he shot, missed, may or may not have shot a time or two or three, four. <laughs> okay. And these deer run off and kind of run down and around a big knob. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew kind of where they were going. So we backed out, went and got in the pickup, drove several miles around, watched where they kind of stopped and bedded down. And then we came in from the other side. Okay. And when we, when we eased over the edge our plan worked too well because the deer, one of the deer in that group was 10 yards away when we, Oh my gosh. The edge. Well, the deer saw him when he saw them and mule deer here again, mule deer are different than whitetail. They, they all got up and ran, but they only ran about 200 yards. And a lot of times a mule deer will run out and then stop and look back. Okay. And so he knew this and I knew this. And so, you know, okay, get ready. And so he did, he had, he had a pair of shooting sticks with him and he'd gotten on the shooting sticks and those deer, they did, they stopped and turned around at about 200 yards. And, uh, and he was able to, to take that really nice, uh, mule deer. And it was three o'clock in the afternoon. That's awesome. And that's, what's fun about, you can hunt, kind of hunt whitetail in the morning and in the evening, and you can go spot and stalk mule deer during the day. That's pretty it cool. Was, it was, a, yeah, we just had a wonderful day. It was, that's so cool. How often do you get two two deer in one day? So. Not very often, but that's awesome. I'm going to be heading down to Texarkana in um, February okay. for a hog hunt. First oh, time. Yeah. And I'm pretty pumped about that. I'm actually bringing my AR, and we got yeah. a group of 10 guys from church, and we're going to go down in two different teams. We have two different guides that are going to take us, and they're going to lead each of our groups. And apparently you're hunting these things just like you would a rabbit, just like rabbit hunting. I mean, you're walking side by side and you're walking through the brush in the field until you, you spot them and we'll be in two different locations. And then you're lining up side by side and just going to town apparently. And we're not doing the helicopter thing because we're not, uh, you know, yeah. dropping $20,000 or anything, but sure, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I tell you what, man, my Yukon river knife, small, small game knife. It worked out really well, cutting up a couple oh, of deer good. and man, good. And I actually like the feel of that small game knife. Looking forward to get my hands on the hunter, but it's been really, yeah, really a, nice. A lot of people actually, even for big game, prefer the small game knife. Um, really? they, a lot of people like a small, just a, they like the dexterity of a smaller knife. Um, so yeah, I, I've used both a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, I've had the privilege to be, <laughs> to take care of a lot of deer this year. And, uh, yeah, they, they both, they both work really, really well. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised, but I am encouraged to know that you, uh, you've enjoyed using yours and 
appreciate you uh, promoting that on the on the website. I mean, for those who may not be familiar, um, Yukon River Knives is uh, a, a ministry slash business, and so we we provide uh, we give a portion of our proceeds to support missions work up in Alaska, um, and uh, yeah, and then provide you with a absolute top quality uh, knife. Ron says it this way: you can you can spend more money on a knife, but you can't get a better knife. That's good. And uh, he, I think there's, I think there's a lot of truth in that. You know, you may pay for a, someone's name or as, now custom handmade knives. That's a, it's altogether different. And we do carry some of those. Um, those are going to be more expensive. Again, you know, something that's painted by Rembrandt, Rembrandt is going to be more expensive than something painted by me. Um, and you're you're paying for that level of quality, and some some of those handmade knives are truly remarkable. I've I've got a few, and I love love them. Um, and I usually leave those at home and use something like our Yukon River knife. Uh, well, that's that's what I use to do all yeah. my deer processing now. The Yukon River knives, and they're incredible. That's yeah. awesome. It's very cool. Okay, so a lot of my listeners have younger children, or junior high children, or high school children. So just kids in the home still. And they are at times during the year running ragged with sports and your kids may play sports. Our kids play sports in the summertime. And I'm hoping that we're doing, it's looking like two years of baseball and done because it's travel ball after this year and we're just not going to travel. So sure, yeah. uh, anything above eight years old in our community has to travel because there's not enough teams. Even uh, in our, even our community of almost 50,000 people, there was uh, eight and under, there was only 40 40 boys in the whole community that came that came out to play baseball that's it and when i was yeah. a kid we had 10 12 teams in our two-year right. age gap yeah. you know, seven and eight-year-olds 10 or 12 teams in our community and it's just yeah. totally different they're all on youtube or painting their fingernails or whatever they're doing now and uh so um I, but what i've loved about getting into hunting is the long-term thought of family life together kids grandkids and including my children and there are challenges with when your children are younger. I brought Ransom this year and he just was not quite ready yeah. to be out there. It was just a little too cold and it wasn't the ideal situation for him this year. Yeah. But speak to the multi-generational possibilities of this whole thing that is being out in the woods, being out in the field and, and hunting, because there's a huge opportunity there for families to build multi-generational tradition here that is I yeah. mean, it's just, it's so life-giving. It's so fun. There's so many lessons that can come. In fact, some of the same lessons you can hurt, learn from sports, you can learn and instill in hunting as well. So speak to that. You're doing doing this multi-generationally with your kids already. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, I mean, just from the, from the very beginning, let me say that I'm, all I'm going to do is share my my experience. Uh, what has and hasn't worked for me. I don't know that I have um, you know, a lot of deeply seated theological arguments for some of these things. Um, so some of it's just going to be some of my trial and error and, and, and practical, uh, practical lessons. I, I, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of the sports stuff can actually pull families apart. Um, there is something about hunting that can actually pull families together. Mm -hmm. Not, not, not all of my children enjoy it to the same degree and to the same level. Um, my oldest son, 17 years old, he's shot, he shot a couple nice bucks. He shot an, you know, an antelope. Um, and he just doesn't 
at this point in his life, he doesn't have any interest really in going and sitting for hours to try to shoot a deer. Um, if we're going to go dove hunt or quail hunt or pheasant hunt, um, something like that where we're walking and talking and there's the potential for a lot of shooting, he, you know, he enjoys that. Like that's something that's much more up, up his alley. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I guess back up one step, um, as, as I've taken my kids and done this with them, I've learned through the years that especially when they're young to make it as easy and as fun as possible at every level. Mm, that's good. So I know that I, if I'm going to hunt in the afternoon, I would go, I'd leave at two 30 in the afternoon. I'd sit for four hours in a heartbeat. No problems. You know, I, I, I can sit there for four hours and look through my binoculars for three hours and 45 minutes of that four hours. Hunting. And love, it, love every second of it. Love it every second. My kids get pretty bored pretty quick when there's, when there's absolutely nothing happen happening. And then if it's cold and we don't have snacks and well then, so, uh, so I've, I've learned that, okay, um, I'm going to do as much work as I can ahead of time to make this eat relatively easy. So, okay, I've got the water tank and the food and I know deer are coming and I've been watching my trail cameras. And I think there's a good chance that we're going to go and see a deer tonight. And mm -hmm. we're going to pick up uh, your favorite. Our, our family doesn't do a whole lot of candy and treats and that sort of thing, but they know if they go hunting, we're going to swing by the gas station and they can pick out, you know, a, a candy bar or, you know, some kind of treats that they're going to bring with them. And that, that's part of the fun for them being, being with me and us being out there. Um, and we're not going to sit for three hours. We're going to sit for an hour and a half. Um, yeah. And uh, and I'm not going to pick, you know, the coldest morning of the year. We're, we're mm -hmm. going to sit out. I, I might go, but I'm not going to drag them out into that. And so to make all things as easy as possible while they're young. And if they learn to love it when they're young, then those really cold mornings or those four-hour sits when they're 13, 14, 15, 16, if if it's gotten in their bones and they love it, then, then they will be like, I, when I was 13, there was no one else in my family who hunted. My dad mm -hmm. didn't hunt, you know, by, um, but I wanted to hunt Yeah, and my dad gave me a bow and we lived in a place where we could hunt and man, I got after it. And I was, I was hunting every chance I could get. Um, so it had gotten in my bones by then. Um, and I don't know that you can necessarily make your kids love hunting, but you can take them and make it a pleasant experience for them. Yeah, that's good. Even if they don't become lifelong hunters. And then those shared experiences of watching the sunrise together, watching the sunset together, the conversations in the truck back and forth. I mean, I've had wonderful conversations with my kids um, where it's just the two of us in a truck and we're mm -hmm. driving out to the field and you know, we talk, we talk about stuff that's of no importance, or we talk about stuff that's of greatest importance and yeah. their soul, the gospel or, 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 you know, whatever dating and sex. And I mean, we've just, all those kinds of conversations happen, um, without even forethought and, and, and planning ahead. So, and then of course, like I, we've got a freezer full of sausage and I try to, or sausage and steaks and, uh, summer sausage and, I try to remember anytime we have venison to say, oh, this is the deer that Abraham killed. Thank oh, you. That's Abraham. good. You know, this is the deer that Evangeline killed. Man, doesn't this taste great? Because I, I actually do want them to have some awareness of where food comes from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Any meat, 
means a life was taken and blood was shed and um, and someone had to get dirty getting mm-hmm. it ready. And I and we do a lot of our own processing. We don't do 100% of our own processing, but a lot of the a lot of the deer meat we literally break down. That's and great. Grind and bag together as a family. And so, uh, yeah, um, Stephen Rinella, love him or hate him, he said some something once that I thought was really helpful. He said, um, "I'm I'm a hunter, and the best thing that I can give my kids is." the thing that I'm best at. Hmm. And, and as I thought about that, I just thought, you know what, like I could, I can, my kids can get involved with a lot of other things. Um, but the thing, the hobby that I'm particularly fond of is this. And so why don't I bring them into the best of what I'm best yeah, at? That's cool. And, uh, and that's been a, that's been a helpful, helpful thing. Yeah. Um, I, brother, I, in another five years, I'll probably have, you know, even better things and, and wiser things to to say on all of this. But I do think there's something um, honest and virtuous even about the the life of field. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people have written very eloquently and beautifully on it. Um, and I even enjoy reading some of the old authors. The, uh, if you're familiar with Sporting Classics magazine, it's mm-hmm. not a, nothing Christian about it, but there's they, they just have a beautiful... Um, the the art and the tradition the love of the outdoors they they do a wonderful job of yeah. uh honing that vibe so that's good stuff man i've yeah. been encouraging guys the last couple of years now i guess probably the last three years about this and you know i almost want to get legalistic about it because it's like no there's virtue get out there you need to do this if you want to be a good man a godly man and uh-huh. you know a great father get out in the woods and I don't want to do that, but there is a healthy kind of nudging to say, you know, expand some of your interests a little bit. Yeah. And if you've never tried this, there is something wonderful about being connected to creation and to yeah. be able to be out in a stand or in a field praying and talking to the Lord. Hey, Providence is coming here. Hey, come here, baby girl. You're going to meet somebody right now. Hey, come here. My little girl is standing at my door showing me some things right now. Hey, oh, bring cool. her over here now. Now that she's made an appearance. Okay, Jeremy, this is my little daughter. Sorry. She's been sick for a couple of days, but she's going to make an appearance. You want to say hey to Jeremy? Hi. Hey, you want to tell him what happened outside? What was in my truck? Duh. Tell, tell about the deer. Duh. Was there a deer in your daddy's truck? Was there a deer in daddy's truck? Uh, yeah. Where is it now? Gone. It's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah. We well, good. You, yeah. yeah, you're gonna you're gonna eat some of that. <laughs> she will. Can you she hear me, or am I just in your headphones? No, no, you're just in my headphones right now. But I'm relaying what you're saying to her, uh, so everybody's gonna hear this and see this. And she's a part of the show now. Great. Okay, awesome. say bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye, babe. She escaped me. That's, uh, okay. that's awesome, uh, man. So that's Providence, and we dropped the deer off at the processor, and she was devastated. She just wept and cried and said, "All gone. What? What are we doing? Why are we doing this?" <laughs> Uh, but it's so, so great. Yes, have you have you done any of your own processing yet? Yeah, I have. So the first couple of deer that I shot, I processed myself. Okay. I had an extension that I put on our KitchenAid and ran through the grinder and all of that. Yeah. And the first couple of times, I didn't actually get the meat cold enough. I didn't put it in the freezer long enough to okay. get it, you know, where it was in between frozen and thawed and where it'll grind yep. better. And I had a heck of a time grinding that up. And we mixed it with bacon. And I also didn't hang the meat. So as soon as I shot it, by i mean my first time here's the deal man the first five times i sat in the stand i killed three deer 
I remember you telling me that. And they just walked out the first 45 minutes sitting in a stand. Here comes this little buck that's right there, just a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, little buck came out, or maybe a two-year-old. And by 11, I had it boned out. I had the meat ready to be processed. And since I'd never done it before, there was just challenges. There was blood everywhere. And yeah. we got it done. The bratwurst actually tasted pretty good. But we've got a processor that will do it for $100. And, you know, that's I can... Yeah. I mean, I take it in for a hundred bucks and if I want the extras, it'll cost me, I think about 130 bucks because I'm getting some, uh, some pork added to it and right. I'm getting the breath, yeah. breakfast sausage and summer sausage and a few things like that. But for $130 to get some specialty cuts and meats, I mean, it's worth it to me at this point. That's, that's, so I utilized a, a, a guy here that uh, a friend of mine now, um, who's not a big commercial guy. He, he does it uh, he's got a shop set up in, in his home and he does it kind of on the side. He does a great job, but I wanted, I wanted some summer sausage and I wanted some breakfast sausage and I've never tried the summer. I've actually never tried making sausage at all. And I just thought, man, I, I'm going to, until I'm really ready to take a swing at that, I'm going to let him mm -hmm. do it. And uh, yeah, so uh, we've got a freezer full of, of uh, summer sausage, breakfast sausage. And, and even with the ground meat, he added beef fat, Oh, to okay. it usually i i just do, do it pure just lean and it's good for certain recipes but you can't really make it you can make a burger patty out of it uh -huh. but it it almost burns before you can get it cooked because mm -hmm. so lean so anyway this this will make for even we can make good hamburgers out of this so nice yeah. well dude this has been a lot of fun and i'm glad to be able to push yukon river knives again for the next month and hopefully yeah, Christmas dude, we you. can ramp up some sales and i'm just so thankful for the work you're doing you're doing your friendship and you really yeah, need right. to start a yukon river knives podcast you can call it the pastor hunter or something like that and uh so there's the nudge get that going <laughs> all right all right guys yeah. we've been talking to pastor yeah. jeremy mcmorris and it, tell us real quick again where they can go to find out more about the knives yeah yeah so there's uh we're on instagram we're on facebook and then our website yukonriverknives.com um, and, uh, you can see our different products, uh, listed for sale there. We've got some full custom handmade knives and some really high end, um, production, uh, made knives as well. And, uh, you know, I, I actually really do encourage guys get, even if it's not one of ours, get a good, doesn't have to be a ridiculously expensive knife, but get a good knife. Um, it, it becomes part of the story of not just that one hunt, but even of you as a hunter. Um, it becomes just like you're going to hand off that 30-06 or in, nowadays the 6.5 Creedmoor. You know, you, you're going to hand down that knife um, uh, to your kids or your grandkids. Um, I, I Look, I, I like the changeable blade knives as well, but I, there's something there's something really uh, um, steeped in tradition and uh, a mystique about handing down or even owning and possessing and using that knife that you've used over and over and over mm -hmm. again. The, the leather sheath gets worn and the, the blade gets scratched and the handle gets chipped. And that's just adding value to that knife, in my opinion. That, that knife becomes more valuable as it gains that character. Man, if that's not a sales pitch, I don't know what a sales pitch is. Get over and get you a good <laughs> knife from Yukon River Knives. Get some dings and nicks in it and keep it for a lifetime. There you All go. Right. Thanks so much for coming on the show, brother. Thank you.